Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to another episode of From the Ashes. I'm here with Christina Dixon. Christina, you were on, I was looking this up, you were all the way back on episode 22 uh, which was My Body Hates Me, mm-hmm. which where you talked about your um, you know, autoimmune disorder and all that. And that was one of our most popular episodes. So I'm really happy to have you back on to talk about a topic that is near and dear to both of our hearts, uh, dating in your 30s. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Yes, it's such a pleasure to talk about dating, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's there's a lot of great stories there. And I think it's something that's really hard for people in their 30s to to do. It certainly was for me. And I know in your practice that, um, you correct me, I don't know, either you run or you're thinking about running like dating support groups. Is that correct? Right. I was actually hoping to run a group. And similar to what you were talking about, there was a lot of difficulties, I think, in acknowledging, hey, I'm in my 30s and I'm dating or even maybe older than that. And um, I encountered a lot of shame. People were embarrassed to admit that they were single or felt like it was something wrong with them. So actually the group never got running because it was so hard to get people to really congeal and say, yeah, I'm going to do this and I'm going to attend a group about this. That's so, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? It's like people talk about it and they think about it, but when it comes to joining a group mm-hmm. and like saying in front of other people, even though, I don't know, maybe that's a good place to meet people, right? It's a group of other single people that want to talk about dating. Yeah. And and I was trying to be clear too. I wasn't wanting this to be a matchmaking service or having people meet up, but yeah, you'd think that there would be some um, shared experience. I know for me, usually when I was single, it was a, a, nobody else that I knew was single. Everybody that I knew was like, oh, I'd match you up with somebody, but gosh, everybody I know is partnered. So it didn't seem like there was a community for me to be able to talk about it and get some support and just have someone say, yeah, I know how hard this is. It's a shit show sometimes. Yeah, 100%. And I find that true when I was going through it um, in my friend group is that, yeah, everyone seemed to be partnered mm-hmm. in a way or were just like resigned to being single and just did not want to talk about it at all. Yeah. And that was where I was for a long period of time mm-hmm. was I had a, a, a pretty painful breakup um, in my early 30s. And just kind of swore off the dating scene. I was, you know, I'm fine being single. I'm an independent woman. I can do this. I don't need somebody. And I even remember having a conversation with my cousin who's younger than me. And he was like, you seem pretty solid on like, you're not wanting to be in a relationship. And basically I was thinking, screw it. Who needs that kind of hassle? So I really went in that opposite direction of, I am not wanting to do this at all. And I'm just going to be as single for as long as possible. And I know a number of people who've gone through similar kind of painful breakups and did the opposite approach. I'm basically going to date everybody I can see, um, you know, be with four or five people in one week or whatever. And and so it was really interesting also to have that difference in approach and some shame or judgment or attack of uh, one person doing it wrong and the other person having the right answer. Yeah. Did you feel some of that shame or judgment when you were in that place? I, I think I did, and I wasn't really open to acknowledging it. 
again, I was embracing that um, solid independence of this is what I want. And I was so full of that, that I wasn't really entertaining the idea of there was a part of me that wanted something different. And it was hard to put myself out there and be vulnerable again and date and try to um, open myself up to the, the joys of it, but also the, the real slug of you know, going out on dates with people, meeting new people and having it not work. I know there's so much rejection. Mm-hmm. And as someone who I identify as introverted, takes a lot of energy for me to get out sometimes to meet up with people, meeting and doing that small talk of answering, it feels like the same questions over and over and not having it go anywhere was just brutal. Yeah, I know. Same thing. It's like investing in people, having the same first date a hundred times. Right. Um, it's it's tough, and it's just like I mean, did you use dating apps? You did, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even just the dating app process of just having to. Uh, I know it's different for men and women. From the male side, it's often dealing with a ton of rejection, right? We just send out a million messages and get like I think the latest Hinge stats or Tinder stats, it's like less than two percent back. It's like wow. unbelievably low for the average user. And then women, my understanding is that it's the opposite problem is that you guys get flooded with all kinds of trash, you know, and it's more about sifting through that and finding someone that's worthwhile. Right. And then, the, the, so I think that happens a lot. And then I think there's also a comparison in at least my experience of how, well, how much trash is somebody else going through than I'm going through because mm-hmm. they're a better catch online. They're getting more people reaching out to them even though it's not a lot of quality, like you're talking about. But then, um, yeah, what happens when you're talking to somebody and then they ghost you or you're talking to somebody and then um, they want to immediately move from the app to text or personal conversation or getting to to meet in person. And then other people, you know, you're talking to for weeks and they're never taking that approach. So it is really a lot of, that's what my experience was, was a lot of sifting and a lot of figuring out what I really wanted and how to, find someone that had some kind of similar interest. Yeah. So tell me about that. I think it would be helpful to organize the episode around the different phases. Mm -hmm. Right. So let's start at the beginning, right? When you decided to get back into the dating world and get on an app, what was that like for you? It was, I, I had had many rounds of doing that. I would get on an app for maybe a month or two, feel like it was absolutely not working and ditch. So I think the first was almost a pre like contemplative stage of, uh, I really want to do this and I really want to invest in it, even if it's not going to create immediate results. You hear the story of someone whose first match was their you know future partner and, and spouse, and that was not my experience. So it honestly took a lot of therapy and it, looked, it took a lot of um, understanding, like we're talking about, of the sifting through in order to be able to even write a profile, stick on it for a few months and decide um, my approach. But then it was a, immediately, I think the first few people that contacted me, I was convinced they were going to be the love of my life and this was going to make it so easy. Oh yeah. So I think I had to ride through some of those waves of the real excitement, the real um, like unrealistic expectations and to go through a number of, for, uh, I think, again, another, uh, uh, for women, uh, some safety concerns. There are some mm-hmm. people that I was having some reactions to that I wasn't really in tune with, that they were um, maybe trying to advance things um, too quickly. I know there was one person that I was on a video call with, 
and this is silly, but most of the time you kind of organize a, we'll do a video call this afternoon or at this specific time. And this person just called me up randomly. And I overlooked it in the way of like, oh yeah, that's what people used to do. We used to just call spontaneously. And then um, he didn't have a shirt on as we were talking and he was just wandering through his house. (laughs) And initially I had a reaction of like, I think my gut was telling me something is a bit off with this, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't identify exactly what was off. So I just was continuing the conversation. And then he said, let's meet up. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I processed it later with some people and they're like, yeah, don't you think uh, that that one thing was weird or that other thing was weird and really got some support on just because someone is interested or just because someone is encouraging you to move faster doesn't mean you have to. Yeah, I think that's great advice. So there were a lot, I think, of the pre-workup of, you know, recognizing again, my sort of safety concerns, recognizing my ups and downs emotionally through this and having some of those disappointments of, I talked to someone for a few days and now I got ghosted or I went out on that first date and just didn't really enjoy myself. So I think those were kind of the first phases of um, getting onto the app and just really, um, having the, I, I overheard a conversation once of two strangers when I was on a walk. And this woman said, I've, I've now kind of found the rhythm of how these dating apps work. And I feel like I've got a better idea of how to um, weed people out faster. Mm-hmm. And I think it does take some practice to get there. I think that's true. And what I'm hearing is like a real disillusionment. You know, this idea of like, oh, it's so easy. This app is going to make everything easier. We're going to just be able to match like all these algorithms and you can actually like scope somebody out or Google them. But I found that it's, it makes it harder in a lot of ways. Right. I think that we're sold on that idea of this is easy. And, you know, some of them promote, like you said, the algorithms and the success rates. But if you do the math, they're incredibly low for the numbers of people that are actually participating in the app. So yeah, expectation setting and... Um, just building up that, that tolerance of this may not happen quickly. And part of the reason that I was um, reluctant to join apps to begin with was that I kept saying, I want to do this old school. I think I present better in person. I think I have a better way of gauging somebody in person. And I was convinced that I was going to crack the code on how we can actually meet in person. Um, but I was just finding that I couldn't figure out exactly what interests I had that other people would be sharing that would encourage that kind of conversation. Yeah, I, I think that's another really important point is that the in-person meetups don't really happen. You know, mm-hmm. I think we're of similar age. I don't know what it was like, you know, in like the Gen X or, or boomer generation, but my sense is that even at places where people used to meet up, like bars or clubs, people are there with their friends. They're not really interested. I think our generation has you know, I think for the worst, a lot of like stranger danger Mm -hmm. ideas. So we're not really open to just casually talking in other environments. Um, There's not a lot of, at least I found, not a lot of avenues to meet people that were on the same level as far as being open to dating and forming a relationship. Right. And I think one of the most important things about forming a relationship is that um, familiarity, that ability to maybe strike up conversations over time, see each other over a stretch. So that's why I think dating in uh, maybe high school years or, or college years is easier. That's why a, a number of people happen to meet someone at their workplace. That was where um, my relationship in my 30s happened was we were both working at a hospital 
And so we were able to see each other regularly, strike up some conversation and be able to get to know each other. We don't have a lot of those spaces anymore. Totally. Yeah. Um, so I'll share a little bit of my story. I think it would be kind of cool if we weave back and forth as we go through these phases. So I had come off just a lot of awful relationships, right? Where I would date people that were not healthy for me, that were kind of repeating old traumas and patterns, et cetera, et cetera. I've talked about mm -hmm. it, you know, a decent amount on the podcast. And I worked with my therapist, um, Rick Tivers, who was actually on last week. And he said, hey, do a year of being alone and a year of celibacy, right? Yeah. So not just being single, but not having sex at all, not even like worrying about it. And that was, you know, intense in the beginning for sure, because being in a relationship was a way that at that time was really organizing for me. I got a lot of value from the women in my life, you know, for better or for worse, sometimes a lot for worse. I merged a lot and I really felt like I needed a woman to validate me. Mm -hmm. um, and I needed sex, quite frankly, right? To validate me and to feel like alive and vital and, and cool, right? Uh, desirable. Right. So going through that, I really had to learn how to be alone. And, and as we, uh, sorry, as we were talking no. about before too, there's a lot of um, our peers are in relationships too. So I think there's a joining quality of that or a normalizing quality that gives us value too. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of my friends were in relationships or like I say, I didn't seem to be trying um, or we're on the dating thing. You know, a lot of guys are, you know, we're all doing it. We're kind of doing the sometimes very adolescent thing of like sharing photos or like talking strategy. Um, and I wasn't a part of that. And I had to learn how to just be on my own and not even to look. And I had to call, yeah, get a real slice of humble pie of being like, hey, my like my picker, right? The thing that my attraction compass is horribly miscalculated. That the people that I am like truly physically, sexually, emotionally attracted to are going to be the same person. So I was in like a ton of relationships, but I dated the same person over and over and over again. And I was like, I need to find somebody new um, in order to in order to date here. So did that year. Okay. How did yeah. your therapist get your buy-in on doing that for a year? That I think would be a hard one for a lot of people to agree to. I mean, it was just a case of just, again, dating that same person over and over again and really getting hurt in the same way over and over and over again. And I really trust my therapist and he was like, just do it. you know. And I was like, you're right. I need to recalibrate. I need to do some deep emotional work. I need to figure out like what's really going on here because- I mean, the the worst thing of being unsuccessful with these women would have been being successful with them. Sure. <laughs> because that would have been my, the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, I would have been stuck in that same relationship. Um, and like you said, reliving those traumas and just not um, being happy ultimately. Right. Like losing myself, doing the nice guy thing, like living in resentment. I mean, all the stuff like I don't want to I don't want to go there. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, I, I get on the apps and. Unfortunately, it was like right before COVID hit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was trying to do this during COVID. And like you were saying, you know, most people meet in the place of work. I work in private practice in my own house. So like I don't meet anybody. And of course, I don't date my clients, right? That's super inappropriate. So like I literally do not meet anybody most of my time. So I use the apps as an option to try to get out there. And it was, it was tough. It was tough building a profile of being like, how do I best represent myself? I, you know, I don't really take photos in my mm -hmm. life. I don't really take selfies. So I'm like, where do I get photos of me? You know, I mean, really like practical stuff. Yeah. Um, it was my first time really doing apps because all the other people I had met in like professional community for the most part. Um, but this was like, okay, I got to do it on the internet now. And it was just like, God, so many like dark, lonely nights of 
just sending out messages and getting nothing back. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a very regimented person. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do like 30 minutes every single day. And sometimes I did that. Sometimes it became like multiple hours. Right. Um, but I, I remember taking breaks because I would tell Rick, I was like, look, these apps are making me more lonely. Mm-hmm. Like they're actually hurting me and they're hurting my self-esteem. And I would have to take breaks to be like, this is tough, you know? And I would get to a place where, quite frankly, I was down on myself or I was mad at women. Like, be like, why are you messaging me back, right? Like, right. like, is this really where I'm worth? Is this like my my score? Like, is this the matches I'm getting? Like, with this algorithm, you know, like it was like, it got dark some mm-hmm. of those nights for sure. I, I think a lot of people have experienced that kind of situation. I know I had a, a similar uh, like frustrations or just throwing in the towel of, I don't want to do this anymore and forget this. And so, yeah, that those are the ebbs and flows that unfortunately come with the dating apps. Yeah. Yeah. They are, they're a weird thing that our culture is doing. And I remember, you know, when I was in college and grad school, they used to be kind of fringe, but now mm-hmm. they're just the norm. I mean, this right. is like the way that it works now. Um, so we're going to move into our break here. When we come back, we will talk about, kind of those first couple dates, like what's it like in the initial screening process? And then we'll kind of build out our story from there. So all right, thanks listeners for tuning in and we'll catch you on the other side of the break. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot teachable.com. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Are you disenchanted by the saccharine-laced stories that you were told when you were younger? Behind every success, there is a hidden journey filled with triumph and defeat. On From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay, you'll hear about the challenges that our guests had to overcome to become the successful people that they are today. Listen live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. 
346-9141 or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Okay, welcome back to From the Ashes. And we're just talking about dating, man, dating in your 30s. It is it is really intense. Um, so we talked about our initial kind of getting on the apps, doing the initial filter, the initial search. Um, what were some of those first date experiences like for you, Christina? I, they were a range of experiences. There were a few people that I met up with that could just immediately tell this is not someone that I'm interested in. And then you have to figure out how to spend an hour or two, whether it's you know a coffee or a lunch or something of how do I maintain this conversation with somebody that I am just not really feeling. And then I think there's also the, you know, interesting, how do you end that date? Because you, you may have a mutual, yeah, this was nice, uh, kind of, you know, blanket statement, but you sometimes have those, uh, you know, I, I want to give you a hug or I really enjoyed this. Um, look forward to talking to you again. Can I call you? And trying to gently um, maybe explain that you're not interested or that uh, you don't want that phone call or feeling like you're giving your number and then having that person, you're having to avoid them or whatnot. So a few awkward endings. Yeah. 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 Tell me about the rejection piece. Cause that was something that I really had to learn and help me get over a lot of my nice guy tendencies was learning how to reject people. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you? Kind of similar that I certainly didn't want to be hurtful or mean, but I also didn't want to then feel like I was Uh, almost being harassed by my own phone that someone is texting or calling and I'm not interested. Um, It personally was a growing opportunity again for me to um, be having those conversations in person. I was more inclined to, sure, here's my number. And then, you know, a few days later of not really responding too much, giving some blanket, uh, things are really busy. Um, I'm not really up for this right now kind of response. So having that you know, this was nice, but I, I don't see us um, meeting again was much more difficult for me. Yeah, totally. Right. Like I had to do the same thing as I tried to like let people down easy. Um, and I, is this true? I'm trying to think if this is true. Or not. I think it's true. I think I was rejecting more than I was rejected. Okay. But that was something that I had to learn how to do because I would, yeah, do the same thing of like, oh, you know, not quite feeling it or like just kind of ghost. And I would feel bad after that because even though I didn't gel with the person, I didn't think they were a bad person. I just right. thought it wasn't a good fit for us. So I would feel just bad about about ghosting people. Um, well, and like you yeah. were talking about before too, you would have those dark moments of my worth and all that. I didn't want to put that onto somebody else possibly by ghosting and then having them say, what the hell? But, you know, like I did have um, a first date where the person said, I'm really enjoying this. Um, I very much want to see you again. And somehow it was kind of like a, um, I made a statement of, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be here until, um, you know, some, I, I forget how I said it, but something along the lines of, I'm interested, I'm here. And he was saying the same thing. And I never heard from him again. Yeah. And it was just so confusing because I, I, I'm recalling the date and I'm like, okay, you said to me first that you wanted to get together again. You really enjoyed this. You were afraid that I was going to disappear. I told you I wasn't, and now I'm not hearing from you. Hundred so, yeah, percent. Yeah, I, th- I think there's just a lot of like, what the hell? And am you know, am I reading this so wrong? And kind of recalling again those moments of no, the, he said this, and what might be happening behind the scenes that I don't know about. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, so much of it, I think is I think it's that nice guy or nice gal situation, right? I, I until this experience, I truly did not know how to reject people directly. Mm-hmm. I can say that honestly. Like I, in my life, I didn't really have to deal with that a lot. You know, I don't have to fire people. I didn't really have to like push away a lot of people. You know, I was generally very nice and just kind of amicable with a lot of people in my life, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how to reject people. And I I was that guy so many times in the early stages of just being like, oh, yeah, this is great. I can't wait to see you. Right. Like, this is fantastic because I was just trying to be nice, I guess. But like on the inside, I'm like, no, I never want it. Like this was this sucked. I was like looking at the watch the whole time, Mm -hmm. you know, but I just like physically and emotionally could not could not do that because I didn't want to hurt somebody. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting how this process often seems like it hurts people regardless. You, you might hurt mm-hmm. people by saying, I'm not so interested. You might hurt people by saying, I'd like to give you a call and then, you know, not. So yeah, it, it just seems like this, like we were talking about, this system is kind of so flawed um, with the culture of online dating. Yeah, for sure. Like, I think it is more, I mean, this is what I came to. It helped motivate me. So listener, if you're in this place, it hurt people more to lead them on. That was, that's, by and large, way, way worse. Or to give them unclear seals, which is, I think, what you were talking about. Right. And that's what I ended up learning, too, is that I disliked it so much that it helped me move past that nice guy kind of encounter of, no, I'm going to find at least some way that feels authentic to me to say I'm not going to be meeting up again. Hmm. Because I didn't like how it felt to be wondering and waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you have a bad first date story? Oh, so many, <laughs> so many bad first dates. I mean, God, what do I, what do I even share here? I mean, I remember going on one in particular where this person was just so anxious. Mm-hmm. It was difficult for me to be around. Right. We just got coffee and like <laughs> she like spilled coffee on herself. She like tripped and fell. Like it was like it was like romantic comedy type uh-huh. situation. She like couldn't stop fidgeting, like eyes darting around everywhere, like did never stop talking. And I just like went to the into the space with her and I and I felt it. Right. Cause that kind of stuff is just very contagious. Mm-hmm. So I'm just sitting there and I'm I'm talking fast and it's like it's just like this two weird like lightning bolts connecting that at the end I was like, I need to get out of here. I didn't need to like run away. Um, because it was it was way too extreme and intense uh, right off the bat. And and I feel like in that experience too, I, I kind of identified different categories of bad first dates. It was the anxious or, you know, too strung, high strung kind of person. You have the oversharer, I think, Mm -hmm. the one that likes to tell you all of their problems or all of their family dysfunction. Um, I think you've got the person that you at least personally find really boring. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A lot of those, I had a lot of those. Right, a lot of awkward spaces or, you know, silences, a lot of difficulty finding something to talk about. And then I didn't have this too terribly much, but I know a lot of people talk about the almost bait and switch that you feel like there's a big uh, description about the person that was not, the picture wasn't totally accurate or it was from 10 years ago or the, I thought they were like this and they ended up being very different. Yeah. A lot of those, a lot of those too. Right. And I don't know if there's like a gender difference on that, but yeah, meeting up with someone and being like, you don't look like your picture at all, you know? And I think for, 
you know, men and women, I, attractiveness is important, right? Physical mm-hmm. compatibility is important. So, and those were the, those people actually, the bait and switch, those were the hardest to reject because oh. I had this thing again, and it's like nice guy thing of like, oh, I, I want to reject someone because of their looks. Like, what if there's something more there? And, right. you know, I'm a therapist. So it's like, I obviously value uh, personality and connection, intimacy. Um, it's not like I'm in like perfect shape either, right? So, I mean, I just have all these ways of like rationalizing mm-hmm. what was going on. But it was like, man, if I can't see myself be physically attracted to this person, I don't know where we go from there. You know, especially yeah. if they're also boring on top of that. <laughs> like, I can't even be friends. Well, it's interesting that you had struggles with that because I think for me, it was clear of what what I looked at it as a sense of trust. If you're, to me, it felt like a lie on the first date or before we even met each other. Mm-hmm. And if you're lying about something before I even know you, it feels like I wasn't able to take anything for face value and really have confidence in, oh, oh, well, you say your birthday is this. Is that really your birthday? Or you say you're from this hometown. Is that really true? So for me, I, I think it was the, the bait and switches were a little bit easier of, no, that's a clear cut. I don't know that I'm going to be able to, to um, trust you at your word from now on. Yeah. So it's like a very clear safety concern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. I think the boring ones were probably the hardest for me. Because how do you just put into words, like, I thought this was dull. And I actually did have, it was a second date with somebody that we uh, went to a park and we were talking. And I I think in the moment said, "Um, does it seem a little weird to you that we have so many silences and we've just met each other? And he's like, no, I think it's great. I haven't even noticed the silences. I'm like, okay. So I'm sitting here counting down the seconds of here we go again. We're not talking and you haven't even noticed it. Yeah. You're like that. That's a red flag. He doesn't even see that as an issue. Right. And, and yeah, yeah I, I love silences and other relationships, but when I first met you and we don't have anything to really talk about that, that's usually the period of time where you, you can't shut up. Mm-hmm. All right. You're getting to know each other and figure it out. Did you have any like bad reactions to rejections I can't recall any. Okay. I, I think I've, I've um, I can think of some friends that have had some stronger reactions um, to, to those kind of exchanges. They're, they're the person that they were talking to had a, a strong reaction, but I don't think I had any. Did you? Oh, for sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I look, I tried, I crafted with my therapist. I tried to have like a direct mm-hmm. rejection kind of like copy and paste, right. That wasn't like, Point of it was very clear, and it said something along. I, could, I wish I could pull it up. So the lines of like, "Hey, you know, I'm not really feeling a connection with you. Um, it was great having that first date, but I don't think we're a good match for each other. Like, best of luck out there, mm-hmm. right? Something that's like, you know, vague. It doesn't say like, oh, you were boring, or like, I don't think you're attractive, right? That's like too mean. Right. Um, but it was like, I don't want to meet again, um, and it's not going to work. By and large, that worked. People, you know, most women on the apps that I was dating were like, you know, hey, thanks for letting me know. Some said, hey, I felt similarly. And I was like, great. You know, um, that that was fine. I had no problem getting counter rejected. Right. That was like, OK, good. We're on the same page. Exactly. No, no worries. Right. Um, but there were some that were like, what exactly is wrong with me? Right. Oh, wow. Like either they fell into shame or they got mad or or something. Right. Or they're like trying to ask for feedback. I got some of those. I got being a therapist. I got like, are, if you're a therapist and you reject people this quickly, how could you ever do your job? Right. Like, how could you be so judgmental? Right. I mean, I got, so I got like a fair amount of like, 
I'm going like, I feel hurt. I'm going to like shame you back, you know? And and speaking of it, I think I did get a few of the aggressive kind of responses back, not necessarily about me being a therapist, which I I find humorous that they were getting on you about that. But yeah, yeah, but I think just the general like um, aggressive, like you said, how can you tell that so quickly Um, or yeah, something along those lines that it, it, it is interesting how people respond to those kind of things that you are not being um, mean at all. You weren't being hateful. It was just a recognition of this isn't what I'm feeling right now. But I think um, because so many of us have our worth attached to our relationship status or, or attached to um, what somebody thinks about us, it it can be taken really personally. Yeah, I I, I think so. And I think, you know, if I'm looking in, in retrospect on the first date, I, I, you know, I try to go full charisma. I try to give them the best shot, you know, like I'm a little physical, right? Like maybe a kiss at the end, but like, you know, arm over the shoulder touching, like, I'm like, I try to give everybody a shot from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then to have that like revoked, I think it's, I think for some people, you know, to give them some grace is there's like a whiplash yeah. effect, you know, of like, whoa, like if I felt all this, why, why is it now a rejection? You know? Mm-hmm. You do seem like the kind of person that I had the most trouble with on those first dates of, wait, I'm getting this message <laughs> sure. and it doesn't make sense. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's like, it's like micro testing. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I would test to see like, Hey, do they think I'm funny? How do they respond to this story? Like, can they banter back and forth? Like what's our physical chemistry? Like, you know, like in all those ways, I was testing that by putting myself out there. And then when it wasn't reciprocated, I'm like, ah, okay, cool. Like I get really clear about what I was looking for. Yeah. And, and it's such a, a small piece of time, really, again, because we don't have those opportunities to get a sense of someone in a natural environment, um, whether it's a, you know, a community event that we're doing or a friend of a friend. But it feels like those first date or two are really high stakes. And I, I imagine a lot of people will go on those first few dates and then it's make it or break it. It's either we're going to try to make this a relationship or be serious in some way or see you later, hit the curb and moving on to the next profile. Right, right. There's such like a cycling process. So I'm, I'm curious, what were you screening for in those first couple of dates? Oh, gosh. Like, were you aware of it or was it more of like a vibe? I think probably a vibe. Um, but I do think it was a bit of having some similar values or outlooks mm-hmm. um, just in, in um the world in general. I had a few conversations with people about how politics was coming up so quickly during dating because I was dating again in 2020, 2021. And so with uh, the, you know, racial profiling and, and uh, you know, stands that were taken around the country with the president and the politics and all that, it was coming up incredibly quickly. And a lot of people were saying, if you're not on my page, you know, see ya. So mm-hmm. I think values were coming up and then a vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that That's great. I mean, yes, politics, that was a red flag for me. As if like we started arguing on the first date, I was like, oh, you know, there's like fun banter, which I really do enjoy. And then there's like, you know, disagreement, othering, like attack. That was like, whoa, this is like really intense. Um, yeah. And of course, you know, it was 2020 and it was COVID, but it's like, holy shit. Um, yeah. I, I was trying to screen for people that were not who I dated before. <laughs> <laughs> kind of leave it at that. But looking more for like kind of like quite frankly like motherly qualities. 
mm-hmm. right? Kindness, nurturing, connection with others, um, compassion, empathy, um, kind of like that vibe, which is very different than the people that I dated before. Well said. Yeah. So we're going to move to our next commercial break here. And when we get back, we'll talk about kind of getting into a relationship and making it a little bit more serious. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y.teachable.com. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Are you disenchanted by the saccharine-laced stories that you were told when you were younger? Behind every success, there is a hidden journey filled with triumph and defeat. On From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay, you'll hear about the challenges that our guests had to overcome to become the successful people that they are today. Listen live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to uh, From the Ashes. We're talking about dating in your 30s, and now we're on that next phase, right? We're on the having a relationship phase, right? You went through the screen, you went through some awkward first dates, finally something happens, like, okay, we're going to do this. So, Christina, we talked over the uh, over the break where it sounds like you really just had one relationship that then became a more long-term relationship. Is that true? Right. I was pretty clear as we were talking about what, what was I screaming for? I think I was pretty clear on um, internally the things that were going to work and not. So after a few first dates, if um, things weren't gelling, I wasn't really interested in trying it out for a few months to see. So yes, I had a lot of um, one and dones until I met someone that I was really interested in um, spending more time with. And um, that turned into a longer term relationship. But it sounds like you had a few of the few months. 
Yeah, that's your way sounds really nice. Mine was like, I mean, honestly, if I'm being honest on this podcast, the first couple ones were me being a nice guy and not knowing how to reject people sure. and like in the fucking train, like leaving the station. And I was like, well, I guess I guess we're hanging out now, you know, and, and every time I didn't reject them, it just got harder. Sure. Because there was like something more real. I guess on their end, right? I mean, on my end too, but the more real that was happening. But yeah, I, I dated like, I want to say four or five people for like two or three months, pretty much through the whole pandemic. There was always like something that was happening. Um, I wasn't monogamous during that. Like I would get off the apps, but I was in these like short-term relationships. And, and did all of them feel like the, the train had left the station or were there some that you thought this has potential? There were some where I was like, this has potential until like something happened. And I was like, oh, my God, this is awful, right? So, like, the the one before the woman who I'm dating now, it was, like, it was pretty cool, right? Like, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I don't know how much to say in detail. She probably doesn't, she probably doesn't listen to this. But she was, like, a, um, a romance writer, uh, which was, like, kind of a cool job. Um, she, like, was into Marvel, which I'm into. She was, like, very, like, fun and funny, very, like, excited about the world. And like as it in dates, that was like really fun. It was fun to like go out in the world and explore together. Sure. Right. However, when it came to getting a little bit closer and conflict resolution, it was awful. Like she would every time we would have like a conflict that bring something up, she would just get like really hurt and then really mad. And it just became about like how I was doing stuff that her old exes did, like that would get brought up a lot and how like, how could I treat her the same way these other guys did? And everything would just like blow up into these huge conflicts where I was like, whoa, I was just saying like, hey, I want to get to bed like a little bit earlier tonight, right? Like it wasn't anything that serious, but it would just, it was just a kind of get to know you phase. It would just escalate to this thing, you know? And, you know, with my therapist, we strategized and we had the therapy conversation. I was like, hey, you know, I feel like every time we have a conflict, it switches and it becomes me taking care of you and your issues and, and, and your problems. And that was another conflict where she freaked out and I take care of her issues and her problems. And that was the thing that ultimately ended it. But that was something that took some time to really uncover um, where I was like, I don't want to be in a relationship where this is where it goes. Right. And I think that's the value of those um I don't want to say shorter term relationships because you didn't know at the time that it was going to be shorter term, but having that ability of, yeah, we're learning about each other. We're getting more information every time we spend together and lets you know, no, this is not the path. This is not the long-term thing. This is going to be really hard if we do years of this together and lets you know that unfortunately you needed to be back on the apps and starting from square one again. Yeah, getting back on the apps was that was like the the it's like oh my god, I got to start from the beginning. I got to tell the same freaking stories over again. I gotta like go to the same place because I don't know I live in like a part of Boulder that's like not that big, so I would go to the same places. I'd have the same date a hundred times, <laughs> you know. Like I don't, I know you live in LA, but so you have a lot more diversity in Boulder. It's like it's not there's not that many options. It know? is diversity, but I think there's this this stereotype of we either have coffee or go on a hike. Like those were the first date options. Yeah, we had a lot of different places to go, but it still felt like Groundhog's Day. And I think that that probably is part of the reason why some people stay in those shorter term relationships a little bit longer, because it feels, again, like a defeat or just really heavy to, oh, I've got to start from square one again. For sure. Yeah. I think that kept me in a couple ones, especially again, during the pandemic, I was like, oh my God, what if I don't meet anybody? Like, I really, it'd be nice mm -hmm. to have somebody 
you know, my work is very solitary. So it was like, I don't really, it was like a lot of companionship need. And some of my friends took COVID very seriously. So I wasn't seeing them at all. So I I had lost a lot of community at that same time. Yeah. I had after, um, so I was on the apps, like I said, and found someone that I was really interested in. He did the, I really enjoyed this. I want to see you next time and texted me the next day. And I was, I was emailing friends and I was like, oh, well, I'll probably never see this guy again. And so I almost had to deal with some of the traumas of the dating experience because I was really freaked out that I wouldn't see him again after about date three or four or five, when I thought things were really going well. And I was super excited to continue with him. I was convinced again that, oh, he was going to fall off the face of the earth. Um, so it was uh, like every single milestone, I was just prepared for the relationship to go up in flames or to be ghosted. Really? Yes. When did that shift? I mean, when, when was there like, I mean, we were like, well, okay, wow, we're really doing this. So again, a, th- a conversation with my therapist and, uh, listeners, re- if you're dating, get a therapist, <laughs> call, really, call Christina, really work, work with her. <laughs> um, but we were talking and she finally said, I think it would be helpful to let him know that you're scared and you don't have to necessarily go into the details, but if you're together, just say, I'm feeling scared or this, this process is scary to me right now. So that you're not holding that all by yourself because what she was, she was noticing that I wasn't was when I was in these moments, I was then separating from him because I was super terrified. I was withdrawing and then it was, I'm probably going to create a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I think the first two times that I said I was scared after that, it was just almost smooth sailing for me. I didn't That's have that concern anymore. Yeah. And it's something I work with a lot with, with my clients is it's like sometimes you say stuff just for you. Like the other person might not receive it at all or might not even know what to do with it. But at least like you said, that secret is out there and it loses a lot of power once it's in, in the space, you know? Right. And, and just for that, like I recently, just this week, had a conversation with my partner and said something about, like, yeah, yeah, I was super scared. And he's like, I didn't know that. <laughs> well, I told you. And he's like, yeah, I don't remember that at all. So you're absolutely right. It, it didn't sure. impact him in the moment, yeah. but it was super powerful for me. Right. Right. And you're like, I definitely told you because I had like multiple therapy sessions about it. I planned it out. I had like my little note cards and my reference sheet, like this 100% happened. It totally did. You're absolutely right. So yeah, it was a a big buildup. And um, the first time I told him I loved him, he didn't respond. Uh, Well, he did respond. I should, he just didn't say it back, Mm -hmm. but he said something along the lines of, um, I appreciate hearing that or something, or it's nice to hear that. And yep text flurries with friends of like, I screwed it up. We're done. I know it. He's going to, you know, end this. And uh, just a lot of, in my head, a lot of journaling, a lot of talking to friends and therapists and um, trying to just pull, you know, push through my freakouts. For sure. Yeah. So where are things with him now? And I'm just reflecting, like, maybe this could be our next episode is like being in a relationship in your thirties, oh, <laughs> right? Like it just continues, but, uh, but I'm curious what, it, what it's like now. Yeah, we uh, have been together almost eight months and moved in together last month. So uh, for me, it feels very much like a success story so far. Again, I'd been off and on dating, off and on uh, rejecting the idea of dating or desperately wanting it for over 10 years. And um, it it's exciting to be in a long-term relationship now. And there are a lot of different challenges that we're navigating. Yeah. What's the move in like? That's like, that's the next phase, right? 
Yes. And I moved into his place for a number of different reasons, which wasn't our ideal. Uh, we would have rather had a neutral like space that the both of us were moving into, but it's been um, a journey in trying to get my sense of uh, space and identity in that. And I, I realized recently that I haven't um, given myself the opportunity to um, adjust like adjust to, I am not a single person anymore. I am not a single person or I'm not a person in a relationship living on my own. I'm not living in the same uh, apartment complex or community of LA that I was before. I took one day off for the move uh, of one day off from work and then was just back right at it. So I think there were a lot of changes that I haven't yet um, given myself the space to um, incorporate or adjust, but on the whole, I'm, you know, really excited about having someone to come home to and having, um, knowing that there are so many news, new things that we're going to be encountering together. Yeah, for sure. Right. Cause the move in phase, and that's where I'm at with Carolyn is she, she officially moved in in March, but she'd been kind of living here since January or February, right. you know? Um, but yeah, it really moves from, for me, like dating to family in a way, mm-hmm. right. Where, like you said, the unit goes from one to two, mm-hmm. there's, you know, we see each other all the time now. So there's a lot more of that downtime. It's not like, Hey, let's go out and do a fun thing. It's like, we're just together. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly, she moved into my place and I'm, I mean, she's so great because I'm incredibly neurotic and I have like the ways I do things and I like doing things and I've optimized a lot of my, my place. And it's just like, it was very much my space. So my work was making a lot of room for her, you know, yeah. which looks like you know, practical things, which in some ways is, is easier, like building her shelves and making reorganizing the closet and making sure she has dressers and, and all that stuff, right? That's, I'm, I'm handy. So I like doing that. But emotionally is where I'm at right now mm-hmm. is like being like, okay, always consider somebody else as well. Um, or allowing her to, to give to me. I'm not very good at receiving. So it's right. like, okay, how do I actually receive from the person? How do I not be in that nice guy role that can creep up where I am like the leader initiator of everything. Right. I'm, mm-hmm. I guess sometimes feel responsible for her happiness. Whereas she's just cool. She's just totally fine. Just hanging out. Right. It's like, it's, it's her house. you know. But, right. but to me, it's like, Oh, we're on a date every single day. And it's at my house every single day. Right. Um, so I'm trying but, to kind of disconnect from that. Well, and there's some pressures like you're talking about of, of, yeah. How do we fill the time? Um, one of the things that I noticed that was different too, I talked to a friend prior to like months prior to the move in and said there was an encounter where I had um, texted my my boyfriend, Andrew, and um, didn't hear back from him. And it ended up our phones just were funky that day. And so he was sending me messages and I wasn't receiving them. And so when we finally saw each other at the end of the day, he was like, I was terrified that something had happened to you today. Mm-hmm. And when I was telling my friend, she goes, you all text that often during the day. And I, I was like, yeah, because we don't live together. So now we can go days without texting and it's a, a, a small shift, but it's just a, yeah, I know that I'm going to see him at the end of the day. And before I didn't, you know, there would be days that we wouldn't spend together. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't text her at all. I mean, I just, right. <laughs> because she lives here now. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot more of that. Um, yeah. I, I've noticed, I'm curious if this is similar for you. I've noticed that my sense of community has grown exponentially with her. I don't know if it's a gender thing. Like people trust coupled men more than single dudes, maybe. Oh. But like we both like hosting and entertaining and she, we both really show up and really bond over that. But it mm-hmm. seems like part of my community had really like coalesced around us as a couple, 
which is really meaningful. Like, I feel like we talked in the beginning of the episode of like that next phase. I feel like I've joined my friends and my community in that next phase, right, mm-hmm. of being in a long-term relationship. And it, it feels nice, quite frankly, you know. Right. Sure. And I think there is something that, that feels a bit different about being in a relationship like that is that there's, um, it's not just you reporting on you, but people are asking about your partner or people are expecting that maybe the two of you are showing up. And so they're not even inviting her. It's just a, an understood if I'm inviting you, she's going to be coming along. So yeah, it is a, a bit of a different experience. Yeah, we have, this is a, I think this is cool. Um, we kind of have broken down our texting habits. We come at each other very well. Mm-hmm. So like I am all about logistics and I hate chatting over text message. Hate it. Cannot stand like, hey, how's it going? How's your day? Just thinking about it. She's like, I do not do that at all. Mm-hmm. And she's the opposite. She loves just chatting on her phone. So what I tell with her is that she's like the di- uh, diplomat, right? She's mm-hmm. like out there, you know, learning about my friends. Like she's texting my friends because they like chatting. And I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't know like Sam was into this, right? Like <laughs> she's getting more information about my friends that I never even knew. Yeah. Um, and then I'm in that role of setting up like the hangouts and the barbecues and the, you know, the board mm-hmm. game nights and all that, all that kind of stuff. So we actually complement each other well. And it's been nice because I never, I don't bond with people that way. Um, Which is, again, so interesting. You're a therapist. <laughs> You'd think that that would be your go-to. Not at all. No. I, um, <laughs> I get paid to do that. Exactly. Yeah. Turn it off at the end of the day. Yeah. End of the day, I just want to hang out. Um, so this episode's gotten really fast. Uh, we do have to wrap up here. Christina, maybe we can have you on in another couple months and, and we can both update uh, listeners about where we're at you know, after being moved in together. Um, with our partners. But as we're wrapping up here, can you tell people a little bit about, you know, where they can find you online? Um, mm-hmm. What kind of services you offer? Sure. I'm, again, based in Los Angeles in the Los Feliz area of East LA. And I am online at um, www.cdixoncounseling.com. Also have Instagram and Facebook where I'm posting just um, helpful quotes and tips along the way. That's great. And you offer individual, do you, do you run any groups? What are you, what are you doing? Right individual. Now? And I have a new group starting on Wednesday nights um, for uh, people just to learn more about communication styles, learn more about themselves, their relationships with others and yep. Uh, individual counseling and um, specialize a lot with perfectionists and um, people who are caretakers and taking care of other people's feelings and um learning to how to focus on themselves. Yeah, there's a lot of us out there. So yes. you're doing you're doing some great work. Absolutely. So thanks again for joining us on this episode of From the Ashes. If you're a listener, please share this with someone who you think might be helpful. Um, share some funny stories. If anyone's dating in their 30s, they to know that they're not alone. Um, give us some five-star reviews. We're trying to boost up our iTunes reviews right now. And then sharing it across all your social media channels really helps us to get the message out. So thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week on another episode. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes.